All right, good morning to you again. Good to see you. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I invite you to pull out a copy of God's Word if you have one, a tablet, a phone, or a blue Bible there. Uh, we're going to continue uh, moving through 1 Corinthians this summer into 2 Corinthians, and, and you're going to be able to f- hopefully see and feel a connection from chapter to chapter as Paul unfolds uh, this beautiful writing and letter to the church in Corinth. And so uh, last week we saw from chapter 2 that it is the church's responsibility, uh, calling, and role to be the beacon of truth and hope uh, to the community that surrounds the church. And so this week we're going to talk about the context for which believers share God's truth in the form of discipleship. And so we're going to be talking about both relationship and discipleship. So starting just quickly at the beginning, let me uh, Remind us as a church from Matthew 28, this beautiful, great commission from Jesus to his disciples to go out and launch the church. He told them, go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I will be with you all the way to the end. And so that was the beautiful commission that launched the church of which we are part of that mission here today. And so not only do we have a clear commission and mission for the church, we see from Jesus' own example how he wanted us to carry out this mission. Now the struggle, I think, for us as uh, as 21st century Americans is that, um, by and large, our our culture is trained to think in terms of mass production. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, a business manager, even if you're a classroom teacher, in this culture and society, you always have to be thinking about how can I cover more ground with less effort? And this began with Industrial Revolution and, and all going back into uh, the history of the United States. You can see the trend then moving its way, not just from the manufacturers and the factories, uh, but into schools. How many kids can we put in one classroom with one teacher? You know, how much ground can we cover with as little effort as possible? Because that's what we call productivity. Well, the problem is that mindset has settled in the church. And most of us grew up in a church where discipleship was, was uh, uh, imparted that way. How many people can we run through with the least amount of effort? And so what you see is the church then defaulted away from these personal, one-on-one, intimate relationships of growing in Christ together to more of a classroom setting, okay? Now, the lecture format classroom setting can have a part in discipleship. We do it here on Sunday mornings, second service. We call it discipleship one-on-one. However, if that's all you ever do, that's not enough. That's not becoming a disciple. Now, the example we have from Jesus himself is beautiful, though Jesus had many platforms from which he imparted truth. You can think about he taught from a boat to the crowd there on the bank. He taught from mountainsides. He taught from grassy hillsides. He even taught from the cross itself. The most powerful impact of his teaching, however, in terms of transforming lives came in those off-the-record conversations he had with the 12 men that he spent every day with almost for three years in these disciple-making relationships. So much so that we call those guys, what? The disciples. They were his disciples. We even see in his example where there were special times where he pulled a few aside for special things like the transfiguration. Uh, praying in the garden, certain instances where he pulled an even smaller group of guys together. 
And it's, it's almost the opposite of mass production, right, to think of it in those terms where it's slow and steady. The emphasis is on quality, not quantity. So for us as a church, striving to be obedient to the mission that we've been given, right, in this culture and society that is all about mass production, we have to wrestle through this and ask the question, how are we going to obey this command from Jesus? How are we going to meet the challenge of the mission to make disciples? Are we just going to mass produce it and run people through like, like cattle, as many people as possible? Or are we going to slow down with, to take Jesus' example and invest in long-term abiding relationships with one another in discipleship? Chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul begins to talk about the influence that uh, certain leaders have had and followings that, that um, men have had in the church in terms of discipleship. So let's, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 in just a second, but um, just to share with you, uh, Rick's got an image I just want to show you, just some, so what it means then to become uh, a disciple maker. This is just something that helps that we're using in meaning, so if you take a person on the far left, a question mark over their head, meaning they don't know Christ. They don't know anything about Christ. They don't know him personally. This person is not a disciple, not a Christian, not a believer, okay? And so that person then, the most important thing for that person to experience is to hear and believe the gospel, first and foremost, right? Don't come go on a mission trip, right, because you won't understand what's going on. We need to share with you this life-giving hope we have in Christ First and foremost, the commission. Second thing is baptism. What did he say? Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Inviting them into community to teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So these are just, now we want to be careful we don't put together this 12-step program for Christians. But however, it is important to take a step back and say, what are the landmark elements of becoming a disciple? And so going from not in Christ to hearing and believing the gospel, baptize a public confession to growing in the community, spending time in his word with other believers, living it out, practically messing up sometimes, repenting, receiving grace again, moving forward, encouraging, holding each other accountable. And then ultimately, though, the person isn't a fully grown disciple until they engage in the mission. Now think about it. This, is, this always helps me. You and I are here today in the church in our relationship with Christ because people went from not knowing Christ to becoming disciple makers. And if you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian today because God used somebody who had become a disciple maker to share with you the gospel. It was at a VBS, a church camp, a church service, a friend, maybe a preacher on TV. God used a person more than likely in your life to invite you into this relationship. Somebody who had said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then they did. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul begins with these words, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now, that's not what you want to hear in a letter from one of your spiritual mentors. I'm writing this letter to you in an immature fashion because I couldn't address you as mature believers. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Really important principle to understand about spiritual growth is this. Paul uses the uh, description of immaturity and sin as operating in the flesh. He does a lot in Romans. And so there's an equivalency here. So what does he mean? Okay. So let's start with the, the metaphor of an infant. What Paul is saying, regardless of what age you are, when you hear and believe the gospel, you very much are like an infant in the faith in terms of needing nourishment, protection, spiritual guidance. And so what Paul says is that's the time where you're getting the rich milk 
of the faith where mature believers are walking with you, holding your hand, spending time with you, not in a demeaning way, but in this loving relationship, walking you towards maturity. But then there becomes a time, just like in your own physical development, to depart from the spiritual milk and move on to solid food where you're able to dig in for yourself and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so that's the metaphor used to describe spiritual growth. But also what happens is in terms of operating in the flesh is that as we grow in Christ, we begin to let go of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the temptations of the flesh day by day, struggle by struggle. Some are longer lasting than others. It's not as easy as just stop it, right? Just quit doing it. Sometimes the struggle is harder than that. However, it's not because God is good, just do whatever you want. There's this wrestling as a Christ follower growing in Christ towards a disciple maker, letting go of the flesh, putting the flesh to death, to live under the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit into joy and abiding relationships. So Paul says, unfortunately, at this point, you're still operating in the flesh, which means you need to be on milk. Now, you can kind of sense a little bit of disappointment from the Apostle Paul. He's set the church up here. He has left, and now he's getting a report that things aren't going so well, and so he's writing back saying, I wish that by now I could address you as mature believers, but I'm going to have to take a step back and address you still as immature. Verse 2 says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. There was a time where that's what you needed. Verse, this is the rest of 2. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Then he gives them some example. For for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? There's an example. So if they said back to Paul, what do you mean operating the flesh? He would throw these examples out there. Well, jealousy and strife. Those are, those are indicatives of the flesh, which means you're still over here in infancy. You should have let go of those things by now and moved on. So in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews describes this same process, starting in verse, this is chapter 511 of Hebrews, if you want to jot down the address. Again, an author, could have been Paul, don't know for sure, could have been Luke, is addressing believers. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Why is it hard for you to explain these things to me? Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of of God. You need milk, not solid food. Does that sound familiar? And so the author of Hebrews is saying, there are things I want to share with you, but you can't understand them. He's thinking again like, you know, my three-year-old can understand certain things, but there are other things that we need to talk about, but I've got to wait for him to grow into maturity before we can do that. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. An example would be then, once you get to the place where you're ready for solid food, you should then be a teacher. What is he talking about? He's talking about the disciple-making process. As you grow in Christ, you will then become less of a consumer, right, and more of a participant and a partner in sharing with others what you've received so richly and so freely. Verse 14 of still in Hebrews 5, 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Unskilled in what? In the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Again, referring to the word of God that we become, as we grow in Christ, we become more and more skilled in the word. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil or good from evil. 
So, so Paul is just addressing the issue very plainly, very candidly. I don't feel like he's being mean, but in, he is sharing some disappointment. By now, things should be different in your life. Now, for me, I have to read this and, and look at my own life first and, and, and ask a, a very basic question of myself. What should be different in my life by now? I've been a believer now for over two decades, much longer than this stint here, and still at times I find myself gravitating towards the flesh, gravitating towards the need for milk and away from solid food. Even somebody who teaches and preaches on Sundays, right? The giving away of solid food. During the week, there are days that I struggle. Now in verse four, Paul is going to begin talking about discipleship relationships, how they can go bad and how they can go good. Because what is it that walks a person from infancy Towards maturity. Well, what is it that does that in, in your life and family, right? Parenting, shepherding, an adult, mature people, sometimes an older sibling, most often parents, right? Raising, nurturing, growing our kids towards maturity, instilling discipline, also instilling grace, walking our kids forward. The same is true in the church. So here's what Paul says in verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, so if that's your claim, if that's the banner you're raising over your life, are you not being merely human? There's another example of the flesh. Not only is there jealousy and strife, <coughs> you seem to be more concerned with raising the banner of whoever is discipling you, right, than to raise the banner of Christ. And so this is the second time this has come up in the letter. We're just three chapters in, by the way. So he, verse 5, what is Paulus? What is Paul? And then he answers these questions. This is who I am, Paul. This is who Apollos is. We are servants through whom you, what? Believed. Remember the hearing and believing part? Paul was there. He was the one proclaiming. Apollos was there proclaiming the gospel. They heard and they believed. Paul said that was our role. By whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. In a small, subtle kind of way, Paul is saying, God is the one that set this whole thing up anyway. Those who were there when I was there, God set that up. Those who were there when Apollos was there, God set that up. Now, continuing forward, verse 6, he continues this thought. I planted, I was there first, I planted, going to an agricultural illustration, Apollos watered, but then the question is, who's the one who did the work then? And he addresses that. And God gave the growth. And God gave the growth. This is an important understanding about disciple making. If we are too lackadaisical and complacent into, uh, into our own spiritual growth, one thing that we are doing is we are refusing to believe that God's spirit is living in us working. Okay? However, if we become too gung-ho... Right? And this is all we think about. We're, we're then, uh, we didn't have the tendency or we're prone to forget that it's actually God doing the work. And that was part of the case here is that they were so excited about these men who were leading and, and who was discipling and what camp they belonged to that they had lost sight of and what Paul is reminding them. Paulus and I weren't the ones actually doing the work in you. It was God's spirit. God's spirit caused the growth. And so while we want to amplify the need to be in these discipleship relationships before doing so, Paul just wants to remind all believers 
us as well, God is the one working in you. Now, you still need these discipleship relationships, but God is the one working. All these mature believers are doing are planting and watering and pruning and just gardening. But God is the one. Just like you can't explain how you plant a seed in the ground, you water it, and all of a sudden it grows. What caused it to grow? Who caused it to grow? God did. And the gospel's been implanted in your life, and God is there causing it to grow. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so there's a unique place for the disciple maker in the lives of young believers, and, and it's a really, it's, it's a balance. Paul is going to express it in just a minute in a real unique kind of way, a very simple kind of way. So, so I'm inviting you, so you say I'm meeting with a young believer, I'm inviting you towards spiritual maturity, but ultimately my job is to get out of the way and invite you to follow Christ, to become like him. You see how that can, that can it's a tough balance between follow me, be like me, right? This is how I do it, this is how you should do it. By the way, that's how a lot of cults get started right? There's a role for inviting and calling forward, but then the, the disciple maker at some point needs to get out of the way, right? And, and the quicker, the better, really. And he uses these two metaphorical illustrations. You are um, going back to agriculture. You are the field. God's the one working the field. You are a building. God's the one working. So before he ever gets into the specific task of disciple making, he wants to remind everybody, God is the one working. It's his field. It's his building. He's the one working in you. Now, very cautiously, Paul is going to talk about the role of the disciple maker there in that kind of mediator role. Come forward, but not after me, after him position. Before we go forward, just, you know, just thinking about Jesus' words um, to the disciples in, in Luke 9. He had just told the guys for the third time, I'm getting ready to go to the cross and die. This is not going to go well for me, and it's probably not going to go well for you, and just expect this. And then in Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, two things just to pull out. Clearly, those who are Christians are following him. That's the invitation. So even those of us who are disciple makers, working in the lives of people, we've got to keep that call clear in the life and the heart of the believer. We're encouraging that. We're nurturing that, that call to follow him. But there's even a process described when Jesus makes that invitation, a daily process of what? Taking up the cross, denying self. Remember what Paul was saying about them in their flesh? You're still really involved in self right now. You're not, you're not really following Christ. You're still engulfed in self or flesh. Remember the invitation to follow Jesus? It's denying of self. 1 Corinthians, just the same letter in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says it this way. Be imitators of me. Whoa, wait a second. I thought we weren't supposed to follow men. But then he has another phrase. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Mimic what you see in me that looks like him. The rest, disregard, discard. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
He'll write in Romans 8 that the process of growing spiritually is becoming every day more conformed into the image of Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos. So this discipleship process then is the work of God through, that's the word Paul used, through mature believers. And every person who's being discipled is being invited to become then a disciple maker for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, this is the next chapter. We'll just look at a few verses from the next chapter. Starting in verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about it. But to admonish you as my beloved, what? Children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, this is important, a lot of people throwing counsel at you, encouraging you, showing you which way to go, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Now this is an important part of disciple making that I think we have lost or at least set aside in terms of the, the church today. Um, and, and, and here's what we did in the early 90s, mid 80s. We, we shifted to accountability partners. Okay, um, Away from what Paul is describing here towards just a horizontal, mutually, and, and basically what they were were just spiritual companions, which, which is good to have spiritual companions. But Paul is describing something here. You've had many spiritual companions in your life, but you haven't had very many fathers. He's using the, this idea of father and child to describe this discipleship relationship. It's not just mutual companionship. There's a leadership component to it. There's a, a mature believer inviting and calling a young believer into Christ. I, I don't know if you've ever had an accountability partner. Um, they oftentimes don't last very long. Maybe you've had a, one of the rare long-term accountability partnerships. It's fantastic. But ultimately, in Christ, if we're going to move from milk to solid food, we need a parental figure. We need somebody who's been on the journey longer than us. Somebody who can look into our lives and the situation with some insight and some wisdom and some mature perspective. A long-term abiding relationship. Now, in verse 10, Paul is going to start talking about this need to be skilled in inviting people to follow Jesus. So let's move forward here. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest or revealed, for the day will disclose it, because it will reveal by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. So he shifts from agricultural illustration to now this building illustration, similar to what Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who hears these words of mine 
and doesn't will be like the wise man who builds his house on a solid foundation, solid rock. When the storm comes, it won't, it won't blow away. However, he who doesn't hear these words of mine or hears these words of mine doesn't do them will be like the man who builds on shifting sand. The storm comes and blows the whole thing away. Paul's using this same illustration to describe our spiritual growth. There must be a foundation, which is Christ. This is why, you know, I hate to do the five-step how to become a disciple on the screen, but that's why that must be first and foremost. That has to be the foundation for everything else. How many adults have come to me and said, I was baptized either as a kid or a teenager or a young adult, but I didn't know Christ. I don't know why I did it. It seemed like a waste of time. I kind of feel guilty about it. Well, you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about it. Now's a good time, but you get the point, right? I began building on a foundation that wasn't there. And so Paul is saying that spiritual growth is much like that, like building a house, firm foundation, which is Christ. The structure coming up must be stable. There will be a testing, right? A testing of our spiritual lives. I think he's probably alluding back to what Jesus was talking about. The storm comes, and what does it do? It tests the stability of the structure. And the thing about building is this, is that you know, Paul's talking about layers. Each layer must be solid and firm as you grow and mature. And if anything gets in there that's not, what's going to happen to everything above it? It's going to have the, right, the propensity to come crumbling down. Oftentimes, this is where we need to go in discipling other people or counseling is to say, let's talk about, let's start at the beginning. Well, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to hear the gospel. No, let's start at the foundation. And let's look at the structure of your spiritual journey and what you're building upon. And let's look for places where maybe you bought into a lie. Because see, if you buy into a lie, maybe it's the lie is God will only like me if I show up to church every Sunday. Maybe you bought into that lie. Or God will only like me if I wear these certain clothes, or you know, God will only love me as long as I don't cuss. If you bought into one of these lies and you've built your spiritual life on top of it, that, that needs to be tore down and rebuilt on the foundational truth that God loves you. Period. For God didn't love the world that went to church regularly. He loved the world, and that's why he sent his son. You see how that truth is foundational, but if you buy into a lie and you begin building your spiritual journey on top of that, what happens when you miss a Sunday? Whoa, God's mad at me, and the whole thing starts to shake and come crumbling down. Or a storm of life hits. Think about that. The testing of what, what, what's been growing and building in your life. A storm comes, and you've bought into the lie that God only loves me when I'm obedient. What do you then interpret as happening when the storm comes? God's mad at me. I must have messed up yesterday, or else things wouldn't be so hard. And what's happening? It's going to come crumbling down because it's not built on what is true. And so Paul is reminding these Corinthian believers that they must build with foundational truths, firm. Disciple-making isn't a haphazard venture or something to be sloppy with. Paul worked on his own skills. You can even hear Paul's confessions in his letters where he's writing about things that he's done and in his own confessions come out as he's writing. So um, just so far, I mean, disciple making is something we have to be intentional about. It requires skill set. It requires learning. 
Um, this is Jesus said what? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. It has a teaching component to it. Um, remember Paul said, and even the author of Hebrews said, what? By now you ought to be teachers. So Paul is saying, let one take care now of how he builds. So we need to be intentional. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Again, using this building metaphor. And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, even in the midst of calling these believers to building a life on solid truths, God, Paul reminds them that God is ultimately the one who is building. Now, on one hand, if God's the one building, that should excuse us then to sit back and just watch. No. Paul is using this reminder to call us to attention, to be more intentional then about spiritual growth and spiritual journey. We wouldn't just kind of go with the motion and I'll just wait on God to show me something, but here's some examples. Opening the word on a daily basis, going after the solid food with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, with the intention of, of growing. There's a really good question that I, that I always, um, this helped me when I was younger and even before I got to teach and preach a lot is as I was ingesting the word of God, I would ask him, how would I teach this? How would I explain this to somebody else? Kind of forced me to begin thinking about, first of all, what does it actually mean? And then, and then thinking about, you know, there's gonna be a day where God calls me to share this with somebody and I need to be thinking about that. Verse 18, again, taking us back to what we've learned from chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul says at the end of chapter 3, this is all still connected. Look at what he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Now, that should sound familiar to you if you've been here the last two Sundays. This is not the first time Paul said it in this letter. Matter of fact, he says that the gospel itself is foolishness to the world. This is the gospel we believe. Last week, looking at the wisdom that the church is responsible for, uh, for imparting to the world, Paul warned them in chapter 2, this is not going to seem like wisdom to the world. It's going to seem more like foolishness. And again, Paul is reminding us not to deceive ourselves. This is a very important part of the discipleship relationship. I'm prone to deceive myself. How about you? I'm prone to convince myself that I'm not as bad as I really am in terms of my mistakes and my sin and my selfishness. Yeah, I'm prone to tell, look myself in the mirror and say, wow, you're doing really good. Um, I'm, I'm prone to... Uh, to buying into lies, that my faithfulness to the Lord is determined by the applause of men, how many pats on the back I get. I'm, I'm prone to that. And, and you're prone to deceive yourself as well. I need spiritual mentors in my life. I need men of the faith who've been on the journey longer than me, listening to my sermons, asking me hard questions, spending time with me around my family, helping me not deceive myself. 
Now, the problem in the church as a whole is that's pretty rare. Can we just be honest? It is. Just a very few men that I know that I can go to and sometimes do, but not often enough. Spiritual fathers in the faith, right? My friend, my companions in the faith are good at cheering me on and patting me on the back. But the person who's good at asking the hard questions are the men who were in my life when I was a teenager just learning how to follow Jesus who can look at me and say, hmm, right? And have the authority and courage to ask me the hard questions. Verse 19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Verse 21, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, just a simple overview of discipleship relationships in the church where they can go wrong and, and the way that they should go and going right. Um, so in terms of our church, how does that work? You know, to be honest with you, this is the main thrust of what we're to be doing with our energy and resources here on campus. Okay? Now, when we get off campus, sharing the gospel, evangelism, reaching out and building relationships is what we're to be doing. But while we're together as the body... This is the primary thing we're to be doing is growing, nurturing one another, building on that foundation week by week, day by day. So at Solid Rock, we're becoming more intentional with this. The primary way that we see this happen, we become faithful to this process, is through our life group ministry. Now, now life groups is not simply a program. It's our intentional effort to pull believers together in smaller groups after Jesus' example to live life for a longer period of time than just a few hours on Sunday, day in, day out, checking on one another, encouraging one another, struggling with one another, praying with one another, becoming disciples. Each life group leader is a disciple maker. Should be. Inviting people forward in this process week by week to follow Jesus and become like him. We have other things we do here at the church, but everything we do must be part of this. So our discipleship one-on-one classes, how does that work? Um, I encourage you to consider coming to these. We, um, this is one-on-one. It's a, I think, a, how long is the class, Dennis? 12-week class, but then we start over again with one-on-one, and then we're gonna launch a second layer to that as well, 201, I believe. Um, invite you to consider signing up for one of those. 12-week commitment, spend some time really learning how to, basically, if you want to think of this, the Word of God as the solid food of what is true, these are culinary classes. That's what they are. You get to come learn how to rightly divide the Word of God. You get tools to put in your toolbox. Not that you would become a brilliant theologian, but that you can move from spiritual milk to solid food and continue this process of growing in Christ. I encourage you to partake in one of those. But long-term, if that's all you do, right, you're going to be disappointed. We want to invite you into the community to become part of the family that is Solid Rock. We want to invite you into life group ministries to find a group of people you can meet with every other week or so as as a big group. The men and the women of the group meet together as well to do what we just read about. 
to invite one another forward in the journey of becoming like Christ. Some of you, let me just throw out some challenge and then we'll ask a few questions. Some of you, um, you heard the, the, the warning from Hebrews and also from the beginning of this letter where the author of Hebrews says, by now you should be a teacher. And some of you were challenged by that. And you thought, hmm, that's true. I've been sitting here soaking this up long enough. Now I don't have all the tools I need, but I know by now I should be now giving back and helping others grow in Christ. Um, if that's you, I want you to send an email to Cam Glass this week and tell him. It doesn't mean next week you're going to be starting a life group, but it means you're acknowledging God convicted me and I need to be growing. I need to, I need to be equipped to do this. Send an email to Cam, okay? If he doesn't follow up with you, you send an email to me or call me and, and I'll find out what happened. And we'll, we'll get back with him, won't we, Cam? Absolutely. Others of you, however, are thinking, you know what, as much as I hate to admit it, maybe I just became a Christian, I've been a Christian for a while, but I still feel like I'm on this milk thing. Like, I see believers who are eating the solid food, and, and I'm amazed at how well they read the word, and they understand it, and I see the maturity in their lives, and, and I want to be there, but I'm not there. And, and this relationship, disciple relationship, what is this you speak of? Okay, if, if that's you, we need to hear from you as well. I need to be discipled. You send that as an email. You could put it on the connect card. You can come up to us personally and say, I need to be discipled. If we're not doing those two things, we might as well just shut the doors. This is what we have been called to do. Make disciples. I love. Now, if you're the person here who's thinking, I'm probably always going to be on spiritual milk. I'm just too timid. I don't, okay. I, I love those stories of the person who was so intimidated, didn't like to pray in front of people and thought, I'll never know how to be able to teach the Bible the way that when they yield themselves to God and become obedient, even when they're nervous, the Holy Spirit picks up and starts working. All of a sudden, they become these fantastic people who God uses in the kingdom. And so if you're that person thinking, well, this is for all those people, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and I'll go get water for people as they play this game called discipleship. Um, I'm going to encourage you that maybe we've forgotten what Paul has reminded us twice in this chapter. God's the one working in you, empowering you. He's inviting you to join him. And at the same time, he's saying, I'll be the one working in you. I just need you to show up and be faithful. I want to end with these questions today. Two conclusive statements. If you're a person who's in a discipleship relationship, how do we navigate this balance between not following a person too much? Your primary question should be in a discipleship relation to the person who's more mature than you is, can you show me what the Bible says about this? That's what we're after here. We're not after the foolishness, the wisdom that comes from being just a person walking on earth. We're talking about God's wisdom here. If you're in a discipleship relationship, and you seem to be getting lots of opinion, okay? Uh, don't leave that relationship, but press back in and say, man, I love your opinion on things, but could you show me what God's word says about this? Because that's, that's where food is served. If you're a person who is investing in people's lives, making disciples, your primary objective should be to call believers into their new identity in Christ and get out of the way. If you find somebody who's tagging along a little too closely, mimicking you, wanting to be like you, be warned. That house will crumble. 
And it's flattering when it happens. This happened a lot when I was in youth ministry. You spend some time with a young man, maybe doesn't have a spiritual influence in their lives, and all of a sudden they want to be like you, and they're dressing like you, and they show up, and they're wearing the clothes like you, and it's all flattering, but in the end, you know it's going to burn. It's not going to last. We don't need people to be like us. We want to lead people to be like him. And so I don't know where you are today in this life cycle of going from not knowing Christ to hearing and believing the gospel, baptism, community, mission, like we laid up there earlier. So I don't know where you are. Uh, in that life cycle. Um, I don't know whether you're still consider yourself on milk. I need somebody else to read the Bible and explain it to me. If that's where you are, it's okay. Let's just be honest about where we are. Or if you're a person who says, you know what, God's given me the maturity and the skill set to handle the solid food. Maybe I need to be given back now. Here's my question I want to ask you. Two, just, just last questions here. Have you ever been in a relationship where a mature believer takes you under their wing and shows you how to follow Jesus. Have you ever been in a relationship where a mature believer takes you under their wing for a period of time and shows you how to follow Jesus? That's what we mean by discipleship relationship. It can happen, it can happen in a life group. It can happen in a discipleship class. It can happen in a break room at work. Okay? Not necessarily concerned about the context, but have you had that opportunity? That's what Jesus hopes for you and wants for you. Somebody would take you under their wing and lead you towards him. Now, the second question is for those who have been, who can say, yes, I've been there. Here's the question. If so, have you ever initiated a discipleship relationship with a young believer to help them follow Jesus? You see how it works? What we've been given, we freely give. How often does Paul say that? That's one of Paul's phrases. I'm only giving you what I received. And here's really, I guess, maybe just a litmus test for us all. Are you in a life-giving, abiding relationship, a thriving relationship with Jesus right now? Wait a second. I thought we were talking about discipleship. Yes. You see how it works? Jesus has called servants to call you for and assist you in your pursuit of him. And if something's not going well in your pursuit of him and that relationship's not a, like thriving, then it might mean that you need to be discipled. And so there's just a few questions for us to ponder here. And I'm less concerned about the program and the system and the way we're going to do it here at Solid Rock. We're working on that behind the scenes. But, but God is way more concerned with the man and the woman growing in Christ than he is the system. So... In other words, if you said, I, I can't do life groups, does that mean I don't get to grow as a Christian? Not at all. We're going to meet you where you are. Okay. However, if you can get involved in those things, Establishment 101 life groups, we're saying, come on, jump on board. We're going. Come with us. Come with us as we go after him. Imitate us as we imitate him. Come join us. This is what we are doing. Come be a part. And I hope that this morning you're able to see that Jesus hasn't left you hanging or left you abandoned. Maybe you became a Christian a long time ago and, and you're wondering, where is God now? This might be the missing element. A relationship with a mature believer who, who can help you build a foundation as you grow in Christ. I want to pray for us and uh, ask our worship team and our prayer partners to come down. And, um, you know, as always, our prayer partners are here to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Um, 
something you may have jotted down on your prayer request card or struggle that, you, that you're thinking of now, um, but also to pray with you as you respond to God's word. So if God's word has convicted you in any way, landed on you, for me, it's always good to go tell somebody. <laughs> Here's what God's speaking to me. Will you pray with me? And that just, again, reemphasizes what God is saying, some level of accountability, but something about taking an action step puts my faith into motion and so that might be something you want to do today. Come talk to a prayer partner and say, listen, would you pray for me? I'm really convicted or challenged today by this certain thing. Well, let's pray together, and our worship team will come back up, and then we'll respond. Uh, Father, thank you for calling us not into a religion, but into a beautiful abiding relationship. And today you've just given us a small snapshot of what it means to be in the family of God God, thank you for not calling us to a journey um, without some direction or leadership, but you've given us people here on earth, mature believers, to help us follow you. And God, today we want to uh, just be honest about what you've spoken to us today. We want to respond faithfully. We know that 100% across the board, every person in the room, you're calling into a discipleship relationship of some sort. God, let us not get tripped up or caught up in programs or systems, um, but God, let us be faithful men and women, pursuing you, spending time with other believers, growing, learning how to rightly divide the truth of your scripture and apply it to our lives. Father, lead us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we respond. We pray in Jesus' name.